Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm sure many of you listening this afternoon believe uh, the horrors of mother and baby homes, Magdalene laundries and industrial schools have been sorted and it's time for all and sundry to move on. Yes, we live in a liberalised society here in Ireland today, free from the shackles of church with the backing of state. But I'll tell you this, when you read this book, it's called Republic of Shame, you'll realise we haven't moved on, really. And for the victims, it's a reality every day. The author of the book is with me on the show this afternoon, and I want to welcome her to Late Lunch. Kayleen Hogan, thanks for dropping into us today. Thanks very much for having me. Um, I have to say, reading this book at times is tough. And, and you know that yourself, and I'm sure you've heard this back. But I want to begin by asking you this. What prompted you to go back, you know, into this subject matter? So I was working as a freelance journalist, mainly abroad, and I was home in 2017. And that was the year that the results of the test excavation at Tume, which, you know, shocked, I think, everyone in Ireland, um, were released that found that significant human remains were found in sewerage chambers on the grounds of Tume. And so there was a national conversation happening about the legacy of these institutions. And, you know, it was also a few years after the marriage equality referendum where those conversations around who gets to be a family, who gets to be parents had sort of been brought up again, a very painful discussion Um, and we were also looking ahead to the repeal referendum so there was a lot of conversation happening about the shame that was imposed on pregnant women in this country and how we treated women and I began to speak with people who had first hand experiences of these institutions I grew up knowing vaguely I think about the Magdalene Laundries, but I had never spoken to anyone who'd experienced them themselves. So as soon as I did, I started to realise how recent this was and how close to home. I realised that people I knew personally, family members, friends, um, had stories about these institutions. Some had been affected themselves. Uh, An aunt of a friend of mine was put in a mother and baby home in 1988, the same year I was born. And so that is recent history. It's completely, yeah, it's within my lifetime, mm. it's within all our lifetimes. Mm. And, you know, I was born in 1988, my parents weren't married at the time, and there was still a stigma. And um, so, you know, this was an alternative fate that could have happened to my own mother. And um, so it was, it became personal. And, um, you know, 
I found out that there was an institution around the corner from where I grew up that was a holding centre for children awaiting adoption, the biggest in the country. Hundreds of children were sent to the US for adoption from this place. Um, I knew people personally who actually had children uh, sent there, which I had never realised before. And this was a place I walked by every day that I had no idea existed. And so it was sort of a hidden history, but one that, you know, that was known, that people just didn't mm. speak about. You talk about, and you've mentioned known and knew several times already. Who knew? Like, the, the church in general, the state, people on the ground living in communities, did everyone know, Caelan? From the very beginning of this system, you know, the first years of the Free State, uh, the state was involved. Um, You know, they had these empty workhouses and nothing to do with them. And they said, well, why don't we put unmarried mothers in them and and hand it over to the church? So from the very beginning, the state was involved. And, um, you know, even until the 80s, the 90s, the last mother and baby home closed in 1998. As it became more professionalised, the social workers were involved Social workers, doctors, solicitors, everyone knew about these homes that worked in those areas. And, you know, people who lived nearby them often knew but didn't speak about them. Women would disappear off for months at a time and come back, you know, women that were sort of known to be pregnant. So it was sort of a cognitive dissonance that the people knew, but they didn't speak about it. And that fear that was in Ireland, you know, fear of church and state was there. Something interesting you mentioned there, 1921, the state was formed. Was this just from the formation of the state that the new state and the church before that in British times, no? Well, we had the poor law system, we had the workhouses before that. The Magdalene Laundries existed from the 1800s, so they were there for a very long time. Yes, yes. The mother and baby homes came about really at the beginning of the Free State. And and, and was Ireland exceptional in this? Have you even thought about this in the context, say, of uh, Britain and Ireland, Europe and Ireland, the world? Britain had these institutions, there were similar institutions around the world, but I think in Ireland it was just, it was a bigger system and it was also, it went on for so long. Um, so one of the most shocking things for me was finding out that there was an institution open until 2006. And this was, it's called The Castle, it was in a small town in Donegal called Newtown Cunningham. and. I had it was on the list of institutions investigated by the commission that is going to report early next year after five years delayed several times. Um, but there was nothing really publicly available about this institution. No one could really tell me what happened there. So I went to the small town. I went to a local pub across the road from it's now a sort of uh, boarded up, dilapidated old stately house where the women used to stay. Um, and I was directed to a house where I knocked on the door and ended up talking to the woman who ran this home, this mother and baby home. And I was expecting it was somewhere that closed in the 80s and just not much was said about it. She told me it only opened in the 1980s and it ran until 2006 when I was 17. This this was I, it was a complete shock mm. to find that out, and, and that's why you know we think everything is done and dusted. 
Absolutely not. As I said, thousands of people carry this with them all of the time. Mothers who were put in there, children who were born there, children who were adopted inside and outside of this country who don't know their line or lineage. It really is truly shocking. The testimonies, may I say, at times are stomach churning. Uh, You know, they really are. And there's one there, Mary Gaffney's story. You might just tell that little story to our listeners today. So Mary, I, I met her um, on the grounds of the Peacock Lane Laundry in Cork, uh, which was a, a Magdalene laundry for, for decades, for many years. And Mary had been born in Ireland's biggest mother and baby institution called St. Patrick's on the Navan Road in Cabra in Dublin. Um, she was born there in the 1940s. Never had the chance to meet her mother, um, was separated from her mother uh, by the nuns. The Daughters of Charity ran that institution. She was sent to a special school, as they called it, ran by the same order. And then she was brought back to the same institution and made to work as a child. So she worked there for many years, obviously with no pay, um, no knowledge of her family, no connection with her family. At one stage, someone she sort of knew from that school a mother in the area said I know your mother you know and and tried to reconnect them and she had this she was told that her mother came to the institution and sort of looked at her through a glass window and was not allowed to meet her and she said she never forgave the nun who was in charge who never let her meet her mother Um, and when she was I think in her early 20s she was sent then on a train to Cork told you're going off for a new life I think with a few of the other women and she when she got off the train the nuns collected her and she was brought to the Magdalene Laundry and she has never left so she is still living on the grounds of that laundry in a nursing home that was recently taken over by the state but up until not that long ago was still run by the nuns So institutionalised for life solely because she was born outside of marriage and the stigma of that. I actually met her cousin um, who told me that Mary's mother had been sent away to England. um, And so, you know, that shame made a lot of women leave this country, uh, the shame that was imposed on them. But, you know... Her cousin actually ended up reconnecting with Mary because Mary got very sick not that long ago. And it was only then when maybe her cousin thinks that they thought she might die that the nuns finally tried to track down her family. And Mary told me she never even knew she had one. And all of a sudden these cousins were told you have a you have a cousin living on the grounds of a Magdalene laundry in Cork. And they reunited. They're now very, very close. And Mary's a wonderful woman. She knits. She knits these really colourful blankets for cancer patients. So even with everything she's been through, she's still bringing colour into the world. And she's so thoughtful of other people. Um, But she was denied her whole life, you know, this connection with her family. Oh, my. It would just... It's just beggar's belief, to be honest. And that's only just one tiny example of a story. I want to take a short break, but just before I do, I will mention Mary again, because she loved your hair. You have beautiful long hair yourself. (laughs) And of course, her hair was, she was never allowed grow the hair long. That's what she said to me. I was trying to make, you know, make just conversation and I said, oh, she loves dogs, but she obviously was never allowed to have one. And, you know, I said, she said, oh, your hair is lovely and long. And I said, did you ever grow it long yourself? And she said, I wasn't allowed. That's simple, simple thing. Down to that. This book is 
simply brilliant. Uh, Kayleen Hogan is with me on Late Lunch today. It's called Republic of Shame, Stories from Ireland's Institutions for Fallen Women. And we're going to talk more after this short break. It's her first book. What a debut, I have to say. Republic of Shame. Kayleen Hogan is with me on Late Lunch. And may I congratulate you. Margaret Atwood was in Dublin recently and there she is on stage holding your book. Yeah, that was, it was quite mind-blowing, but she spoke about it, you know, obviously so many parallels with her work, but she spoke about the incarceration of women in Ireland and institutions and how their children were taken from them. And she was very moved by the history of this. Absolutely. And the words stigma, secrecy, silence and punishment, they're all within the covers of this book. And those words were put together by Alva Smith. And that was in the context of? She was launching the book and, and this was about... Out, you know how she saw this legacy Alva you know was one of the leaders of the repeal campaign mm. Mm. Um, and you know she talked about the shame that was imposed on women for so many years yes. and her own experience of some of that stigma you grew up beside one of these places and not far out the road from where we sit today is Jamullen and the mother and baby home. You're aware of that as well was there close by. Children who were adopted from there. I met a young woman in in Dublin who's searching for her mother and has only begun to trace and we sat in the GRO in Dublin that has all the birth registration ledgers and she had to go through checking her date of birth through all these pages trying to search for who she was and you know who she is, what name she was given by her mother. I went to an apartment viewing once in Dublin and, you know, you start talking about what you're doing, spoke about the book. The woman turned around and said, I was born in Bespar Mother Baby Home in Cork in 1988, the same year I was born. So that's so common, you know, with this book. Every time I talk about it, someone has a story, someone has been affected by it. There's, There's so many people who are carrying this ongoing legacy. Why is there a reluctance still to provide the information to those searching? The the Irish state continues to deny people who were adopted through these institutions, through the religious agencies, um, their birth information, access to their birth certificate. The adoption bill that was recently proposed has stalled, but it's still there. It's likely to come back again. So this is legislation in our own names that's going to be passed you know, hopefully there's been a huge backlash against that. People speaking about how important it is that people have the right to their own information and the right to, you know, find out their name, know who their mother was, not necessarily even to trace, but just to have the information, that basic dignity. And it's normal. It's in Northern Ireland, in the UK. It's been normal for many years. And we are sort of unique in that we continue to deny people um, this information. That must change and must change sooner rather than later because time is of the essence here for a lot of people. And this call to seal the records, is it of the Commission for 75 years? So that's a nonsense. Yeah, of the Child Abuse Commission. Yes. And these are people's testimonies, um, you know, given in very difficult circumstances often. And, you know, it's it's part of our history. It's It's these people's own stories and you know they're trying to seal these records um it's an perpetuating a culture of secrecy and shame around these issues and it also raises concerns that you know the the records of the commission into of investigation to the mother and baby homes might also be sealed two things you've met the religious as well you detail it in the book we can never say that all religious were evil 
and, and perpetuated this horror on, 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 on women who were, went in to have babies in the industrial schools, etc. But from meeting them, how, how do you call it? It was really important to me to speak with the nuns, to speak with religious sisters who'd operated these institutions. And I was often told, oh, you know, all of those women are dead and gone now or their memory is gone. And I ended up meeting a nun who worked as a midwife in Ireland's biggest mother and baby institution. And her memory was perfect. She remembered women coming in wearing two corsets to hide their pregnancy. One woman came in with maps from Norway trying to pretend that she was off on a trip instead of an institution run by nuns giving birth in secret. And um, And, you know, some did speak to me that there were, you know, abuses in the past. One woman who worked in a Magdalene laundry, um, a nun, told me, you know, it was wrong. Um, The way the women were called penitents was wrong. The way they were treated was wrong. They were treated as subhuman. Their names were taken away from them. They were forced to work. Their children were taken away from them. And they were told that they couldn't be mothers. I think that was one of the most shocking things was the sort of subtle coercion that went on um, as well as, as the sort of, you know, the forcing to work, the very difficult conditions, the lack of medical care. Women being told you'd be selfish to keep your child, that you can't raise your child, you can't give your child a future because you're unmarried. And so women denied, you know, the chance to be mothers, told that they couldn't be mothers. God, I often think I live in a different Ireland, even though I was born in that Ireland and grew up in the 70s and 80s in that Ireland of repression and believing. And today when I look at it, and thank God the country has changed, and really, like, it's just a shame. It's a shame on us and a shame on the state. And Can it ever, can there ever be closure for these people? I think the more that we listen to people, um, you know, a lot of women said to me, they want this taught in schools. They want this acknowledged as part of our history. You know, you, you go to the sites of these institutions and there's often nothing to mark that they were ever there. You know, the Sean McDermott Street Laundry in Dublin, nothing to say about the history of, how, you know, hundreds of women who passed through those doors, who were living behind those walls, some until they died. And there's nothing to mark it. So it's still a hidden, you know, reality. It's still something we're not bringing out into the open. We're not talking about enough. You know, hopefully there will be some more answers when the commission reports next year. But what's so important is to listen to the people who had the experiences of these institutions to have their voices heard. And, you know, they need supports. They need health supports. They're asking for redress in, in some cases. And, you know, the state has to do justice to these women and and to the people who were born in these institutions. Can I say before we finish up, you've done them a wonderful service with this brilliant book. It's called Republic of Shame, Stories from Ireland's Institutions for Fallen Women. It's by Caelan Hogan and it's available right across the country. Now, important to tell you these two things before she goes. Row River Books in Dundalk. You're there this Thursday evening from 7 to 9 signing there. So, folks, Row River Books, you know what it is. Get along, meet this wonderful lady. And congratulations to you. You're nominated for Nonfiction Book of the Year at the Irish Book Awards. Can we vote for you? You can. You can go online and, and vote for yeah for there's amazing books on that list but I, I would be very grateful if you vote for Republic of Shame yeah. I, and it's the Irish uh, Book Award so it is this year and you can find that just google it there you'll find it and you'll see the voting there 
Brilliant, I may say. Tough to read. Honest and certainly doing those people a wonderful, wonderful service. For the moment, Caelan Hogan, thank you very much for joining me on the show. Thank you very much. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.